0: Are you a parent in business that wants to learn digital marketing the right way? So you've got an amazing business and you want to shout it from the rooftops. You want everyone to know about it and you want to generate consistent revenue. You love the idea of your business working for you whilst you are busy making memories with your family. The one thing stopping you is digital marketing. From SEO to blogging, from creating your own digital courses to creating podcasts that parents will love, My Bumped Baby has the solution. We have launched our digital marketing academy and it is designed for parent-focused business owners to grow and scale their business with ease. Our academy can be accessed from anywhere on any device which means as a busy parent in business you can learn on the go with our bite-sized straight to the point videos. Join us today by visiting the link below and have seven day free trial on us to see if the area is right for you. Click the link under this podcast to start benefiting today and access our training right away. We look forward to seeing you in there and teaching you everything you need to know about digital marketing for parent-focused businesses. We are Google's number one baby and toddler directory. We cover everything from pregnancy to preschool and we are home to over 8,000 business listings. Join over 160,000 parents using our website each month And you can find your local groups, classes, services and support in your local area. Are you looking for local baby and toddler swimming lessons in your local area? Head over to www.mybump2baby.com to find your nearest swimming lessons. Hello and welcome to my Bump to Baby expert podcast, where we bring experts from all over the UK to answer your questions on everything pregnancy to preschool. Hi everybody and welcome to My Bumped Babies Expert podcast. As you are probably aware, we work with family law solicitors throughout the UK. Today, we are joined by our family law experts in Ipswich and we're joined by Scott Emston, the partner of Bateswells and Braithwaite Solicitors. Hello, everybody, and welcome to My Bumped Babies Expert podcast. Today, I am speaking to Scott Emsden, partner of Our Family Law Solicitor in Ipswich, Bateswells and Braithwaite. Hi, Scott, how are you?
1: Hi, yeah, I'm, I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm
0: looking forward to talking to you today about an important subject, a very important subject around domestic abuse. Um, do you see a lot of these cases, Scott?
1: Yeah, so when I um, started out here, when I first qualified, I did a lot of work with um, Lighthouse Women's Aid, which uh, I I think they're local. I'm not sure whether they're nationwide or not, but they're certainly a local um, organisation that support victims of domestic abuse. Um, So at least initially, it was a a large part of of what I did in terms of, you know, assisting people with restraining orders or issues in relation to children following the breakdown of, of, of relationships and I still do, still do it now. It forms a big part of what I do. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, it it, it, it is quite common, and, and there's certainly a lot of people out there that need help with it.
0: Yeah definitely I mean according to the National Centre of Domestic Violence one in five adults experience domestic abuse during their lifetime um, and I actually read a statistic that really shocked me before um, which was last year 2.4 million adults were actually victims in domestic abuse I mean it's so sad and heartbreaking that so many people are going through it and not actually saying anything which...
1: It is it is, and and in terms of the the nature of it you know one of the things I get a lot when I speak to people or people come to see me is oh yeah but there wasn't any physical abuse you know they never they never raised their hands to me but of course that's just only a very small part of what domestic abuse is there's the emotional there's the financial there's sexual there's the coercive control which is a fairly new new thing that the the government are addressing as well so um, there's a lot of different types
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's important for this podcast, we want to raise awareness around this to help anyone that might be struggling, that feels like they can't talk to anyone, or they might just want to you know have they might have some questions around domestic abuse and and they just want to know the answers so you can listen to this podcast and hopefully uh between well scott not myself but scott is the expert in this so he will hopefully answer any questions that you have but scott at the end what we'll do is we'll we'll give you an opportunity to share your details so people can contact you directly in confidence is that okay
1: yes of course absolutely absolutely
0: Oh perfect. So um, first of all Scott what I want to ask is what constitutes domestic abuse under the law.
1: So the 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 government definition of domestic abuse is, is it's any incident or threatening behavior violence or abuse um which includes psychological physical sexual uh, financial or emotional between adults who are or have been intimate partners or family members regardless of gender or sexuality um, and again that touches on the point I raised earlier that that a lot of people do still consider that that that, that domestic abuse really only refers to physical abuse so instance of violence but as per the government's own definition that, and my experience in dealing with it that certainly isn't the case.
0: No no it's so sad I mean I, I, and I know exactly what you mean there because I mean, some people might, we do see a lot of of TV programs and it is all, you know, a lot of it is physical, isn't it? But, you know, sometimes it... These these abuses, they can really hide what they're doing quite well as well. So you can actually think you're going a bit mad sometimes, or they tell tell you you're going mad. So so there's a lot of different things that we're going to cover within within here. But how, how would someone, if they think they're on the receiving end of domestic abuse, how would they, how would you advise they gather evidence about domestic about the domestic abuse they're facing to support their case?
1: It, it's it's difficult because by its very nature um there you know there are only two people that really know what's going on and of course it all happens behind closed doors the majority of it so in terms of gather- gathering evidence it, it is quite a difficult issue you know what what i've seen doing this job is obviously text messages or whatsapp messages can be kept some people make recordings um on their phone but of course the issue with that is that one has to protect their own safety because of course if the abuser is aware that there's evidence gathering going on then it potentially places the victim in even more danger what what i would say is that the 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 court in particular and um, the family court obviously the police is a different issue but the family court in particular are very aware that that by its very nature that there may be limited evidence you know limited um, physical first hand evidence of of what the domestic abuse is And often, you know, with with, when we prepare statements setting out the the history of a relationship and the incidents that have taken place, um, you know, if if it gets to a stage where it is contested, sometimes it really just comes down to um, whether the evidence is consistent. You know, regardless of any um, proof or text messages or videos or photos, it really comes down to consistency. Um, But certainly I've seen, you know, photographs of injuries, Um, abusive messages recordings but it is important that if someone is going down that route that they can be confident and assured that their abuser isn't going to be able to I guess become aware of what they're doing because the the most important thing with all of with all of this is that until the victim is ready to leave ready to take the steps that are necessary that they keep themselves safe but certainly the I guess what I'm getting at is that the absence of that physical evidence isn't necessarily a barrier to getting out and getting the help.
0: No, no, that, that's great advice. Yeah. Um, so, so what legal protections are actually available to victims of domestic abuse?
1: So there's there's two main ones that we deal with kind of from from our side as as family law solicitors, which are the, the, the non-molestation orders and the, the occupation orders. So a non-molestation order essentially is a, is a restraining order. It's a civil restraining order, and it would prevent the the respondent, the person who the application is being made against, from um, contacting the the person who's applying for the protection. So contacting them, full stop. Whether that be Direct contact or indirect contact through third parties, and um, it would prevent them from threatening or using violence, and um, prevent them from posting on social media. There can be exclusion zones, so if they come within a certain distance of of your of of the victim's property or place of work, and um, then they would be in breach of the non-molestation order. They generally last for six to twelve months, but they can be renewed um, and extended. Um, And if the perpetrator or the respondent uh, breaches any of the terms of the non-molestation order, um, then there is a power of arrest. So what what happens is that when the order is granted, a copy is filed with the police. So the police are aware that there is an order in place. And and essentially what it means is that if there's any contact whatsoever in breach of that order, that the police can be called and would likely arrest the person. Um, So it, it, it has two purposes. Firstly, um it's it's designed to act as a deterrent to the abuser because they will know that if they breach the terms of this order then there's a high chance they will be arrested um and clearly with that order in place it it would help any potential prosecution of that individual and also yeah it, it there's a punishment there so it it's a it, it's a good order to get um they're, they're not difficult to get in terms of What evidence you need, because, of course, if you if you're coming to the court and you're saying, look, this person is contacting me and that contact is unwanted. Realistically, the court are going to say to that person, well, okay, so the contact is unwanted. They're going to say to the um, to the respondent, well, you know, this person doesn't want you to contact them would you agree with the order? It's a very hard case when you're the respondent in a non-molestation order to say, well, yeah, they don't want me to contact them, but I want to contact them anyway. So the non-molestation order really prevents the perpetrator from doing something that they shouldn't really be doing anyway. So that that's quite a good, a good tool. The occupation order is slightly different and, and you would see the occupation order um, become necessary where the parties live together in a property that's either jointly owned or a joint tenancy, um, because of course the both the both parties have the right legally to enter that property as and when they want, which of course in a situation of domestic abuse is is less than desirable to put it lightly. So what, what an occupation order does, it essentially prevents someone from living or attending a property that they own. So it restricts their property rights against that property. They they are harder to get. And, and, and the legal test for both of these orders is what we call the balance of harm test. And this is the test the court applies. So the court would need to look at the harm to the applicant, the person who's seeking the order, um, if they didn't make the order. So if the court were to allow things to continue as they are, What would the harm be to the person who's applying for the order? And they have to balance that against the harm to the person that the order will be made against. So, for example, if uh, the person who the order was being made against had nowhere else to go under an occupation order, the court would have to consider carefully where the balance lies, if that makes sense. You know, who would suffer more harm? Would it be the person who went for the order but didn't get the order? And that forced them then to continue living in this situation, clearly, children are a relevant factor in that, and the impact of on the children of that situation being allowed to continue and they balance that against the harm to the perpetrator of what what where they would have to go so that's what we look at when we do the statements in support. We address all of that um as well as the background and the history but but they are the two main routes that we would go down as, as as family law solicitors. But of course, the other protections are with the police, who who obviously deal with the criminal side, um, which I'm sure we'll come on to uh, in a little while.
0: Yeah, that that's great. That's a lot of information there. So so with um, the consequences for the abuser, if they did violate one of these restraining orders or the non-molestation order, what is the consequences for them? Um, is it like would they get arrested
1: yeah so my experience is that they they would so there there is a power, power of arrest attached to these orders and that is punishable by up to 5 years in prison a breach of of one of these orders you see the, th- the thing is if you if you had if you didn't have an order and you had a text message or something from um the the abuser that was you know verbally abusive or perhaps not perhaps just harassing you know numerous missed calls You know, this is this is no criticism, but you may call the police and the police may be able to do very little about it. You know, they certainly or perhaps wouldn't necessarily go down the route of prosecuting or charging. They may just have a word when you have the non-molestation order. It gives the police more power because they have that order. They have the power of arrest and whatever the message says, if someone's been ordered not to contact someone and they send a message, even if it just says hello, even if it's a nice message, you know, it's still unwanted contact and the police can then act.
0: Right. Right. OK. And I mean, I mean, for these these orders as well, I'm guessing, does it get a bit more complicated when you've got children involved? Because, say, for example, it was the dad of a child or the mum of a child and they, they still have a relationship with the children. How, how would that work?
1: So sometimes the orders can be worded in such a way that there is, you know, there is to be no contact from the abuser uh, to the victim unless it is specifically around child arrangements i personally see that as a bit of a problem because it still gives them an in mm-hmm. to make that contact and they you know they can be quite clever with it the other way we tend to deal with it is you can appoint a third party so whether that be you know one of the children's grandparents or a trusted friend that the communication can go through at least initially while the issues are ironed out that tends to be preferable um, clearly, long term, you know, there, there potentially would need to be some communication in the future. Um, but certainly, at the point where these orders are sought, everything is is you know up in the air. It's raw, um, it's difficult. So, my, my preference personally is for a third party to, to 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 be appointed to handle that contact, at least in the short term.
0: That makes sense. So, so with. If someone is thinking about leaving a relationship today and they feel like it is dangerous for them to leave the relationship right away, can they obtain an emergency injunction?
1: They they, they can, and it would be the same um, two orders. It would be either a non-molestation order or an occupation order. Um, And we've done a fair few of these um, here, or I've done a fair few of these. And what you tend to do is you would... Uh, and it's all very it's all done without the without the abuser be, being aware that anything is going on that's really important and it's quite difficult but it's important so how that would work is someone would contact me for example um I would take them through their situation and we would determine whether or not it was something that required an emergency order or not we would then prepare all of the paperwork. We'd prepare the application, the statement, a draft order. And what we would do is we would go along to court without a hearing, uh, me and the client. And we would go to the court office and tell them that this is what we're doing. So we are making an urgent application. And generally, if the court is satisfied that it, that it is an emergency, which, you know, I would i have to be confident myself that it was an emergency to to take those steps anyway mm-hmm. you would then get to see a judge that same day and all all of this happens without the other party knowing okay so the other party isn't aware that anything is going on and uh, myself and the client would go it before a judge and i would set out the position and why this order is necessary and Nine times out of 10, the judge would make the order because if we've got to that stage, it's because, you know, I've made an assessment that, that that we're likely to be successful on it. The judge would then make the order. And again, it's important to note that the abuser still wouldn't be aware that anything has happened at all. What then happens is that once the order is drawn up, the order is then served on the abuser. And at that point, the order is effective. So the idea is that the abuser, the alleged abuser, is, only becomes aware that there is an order in place or that any steps have been taken at the time that that order is in effect. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, so there's yeah. no liaising beforehand discussing it or any, no, no, anything not, like no. that. The,
1: the, the first they know about it is when they get handed the order and at that point the order is effective and they are subject to the power of arrest if they breach it. And as I said, that's something that I've done quite frequently when when the situation requires it. Um, And then what happens is the court do list a further hearing, which the alleged abuser would then be invited to attend. But again, the idea behind all of that is that this order is in place already. So the protection is there.
0: That's really good, what legal remedies are available to someone who, in terms of like financial support and housing, if they have to leave an abusive relationship
1: that that's slightly more difficult um and again, that is one of the 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 one of the main reasons that I see that people are reluctant to leave and and I understand that because. Often, if you've if you've been well, if you've been in a relationship with someone or you're married to someone and have been with them for for a number of years, your finances are intertwined. And to take the step not only of of having the courage to leave, but also looking into the future of how you're going to cope financially as well as as anything else, um, is difficult. There, there isn't a lot in terms of financial support, to be honest. You, obviously, if they're children, you would be able to apply for child maintenance. Which you would be entitled to. If married, then something called spousal maintenance would be looked into. But that really would only apply, you know, where what where the perpetrator was, you know, a high earner. Really, spousal maintenance is is quite difficult to get. Um, but there are an awful lot of organisations out there that can help it with, you know, um, looking perhaps at what government help would be available in terms of any benefits. You know, hypothetically, before you take the plunge, you know, there are, you know, the Citizens Advice Bureau are are good for that. Um, I'm aware there's also an organisation, again, this is in Ipswich, but Anglia Care Trust are very good at getting all of those ducks in a row. And I'm sure there are resources online as well for people to look at to say, well, if I did do this, this would be my situation. Could I get any further help? Um, And of course, you know, one of the things we see a lot is 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 at least initially going off to a refuge um, whilst this stuff is sorted out.
0: Yeah, there is that option, isn't there? As, as yeah. well, so that that's yeah. There there is options out there, right? So 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 what what role do the police actually play when it comes to dealing with domestic abuse?
1: The domestic abuse situations are very difficult for the yeah. police, I think, because yeah. they, as as I've said before, the very nature of it is that it happens behind closed doors, and there are only two people involved, and it can often be that even family and close friends of those that are that are. Subject to this, you know, have no idea that it's going on because, you know, abusers can put on quite a good front and um, to people um, when they're around other people. So that the police get get a lot of criticism, I think, for for not pursuing domestic abuse cases. But in terms of the standard of proof that they need to get to for a successful prosecution, which is beyond reasonable doubt, can be quite difficult. The the advantage with going down the family court route is that it's civil procedure. So the standard of proof is a lot lower. Um, it's the balance of probability. So the court only have to be satisfied that the it was more likely than not that the abuse happened. We're always told not to put it in percentages, but I always find that it it helps to illustrate it. So if you're in a family court, the judge has to be 51% satisfied, if I can put it like that, that mm-hmm. the abuse happened. Okay. If you're in a criminal court, a jury would have to be 99% convinced. So that's quite a difference. And, and domestic abuse is is particularly difficult to get to that 99% threshold. So the police can play a role. The other issue the police have is often victims withdraw um, their support for the prosecution, because, again, that's just the nature of the abuse. Something happens, the police are called. The victim and the, the abuser then manipulates the victim into withdrawing their support, in which case there's no chance of prosecution. The, 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 the bigger role the police play, I think, is is in terms of the stuff I deal with, is where there is an order in place. That's when they can act because it, it's clear there. There's an order. There's a power of arrest. They can become involved. But, but what I would say, despite all of that, is that if there is serious domestic abuse happening and one thinks they're in danger, then the police should be called in any event. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, You because, know, you know, I've talked about the without notice orders and coming to see me and doing it all, you know, without anybody knowing about it, that isn't always possible. You know, if it's a serious situation and someone is at risk of, of serious harm, then the police should always be the first step. They should always be the first step. And we can then step in, you know, straight away as well. Mm. Um but but there should be no hesitation in calling the police if if there's a situation whereby someone's in danger.
0: That's great. Yeah. So so would someone be able to get legal aid or financial assistance to cover the cost of pursuing legal action against their abuser?
1: Absolutely. So legal aid for non molestation orders and occupation orders is um available. It's available to everyone. There are assessments we have to do on income and capital. And if your income and capital is at a certain level, you may have to pay a contribution towards the legal aid. Um, But legal aid is readily available for everyone who wants a non-molestation order and occupation order. The other point to note on this, which is an important point, is there is no court fee to pay either. So it always used to be there was a court fee to, to make an application um, but some years ago now, I can't remember exactly when they got rid of that and rightly so. So there is no court fee and legal aid is available. That that would involve us. We, we would have to do an assessment. We would have to send it off to the legal aid agency for them to assess in urgent situations. And provided we are satisfied that the person is completely eligible for legal aid, um, we can grant legal aid the same day that someone comes in to see us.
0: Well, right. So there's there's a lot of a lot of help available um, that people might not be aware of. Absolutely. So, in terms of, I know we touched on this earlier, but are there any more steps that people can take to document incidents? I know you said about taking pictures, yeah. um, but of domestic abuse, or keep a record of legal proceed for the like future legal proceedings, if you know what I
1: mean. Yeah, I think as i said you, you could you could go down the route of recording taking photos that comes with its own risks as as i've said mm. yeah I'm, i mean as i said the, the the issue with it you can keep any records that that you want even if that's like a diary yeah um, but it but it must be kept somewhere where the person the the, the abuser cannot access it of course Perhaps telling trusted friends and family. I know that that's often a difficult step for people in this situation because they can then be brought into it if they're willing to be brought into it to confirm, you know, what they've been told. So, yeah, I mean, that 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 is a difficult question. But again, what I would say and what I would want to make completely clear is that the and, and actually I've had people come to see me who have said, well, you know, I wanted to leave earlier. But he said, you know, I'd never be able to prove it. And, you know, that kind of stuff it's not a barrier to this to this because the court are aware of its nature you know if 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 you've if you've got no physical evidence it 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 doesn't matter you know your account is your account and as long as your account is consistent often that can be enough
0: yeah so don't let it put, put people off really if if they are in a a situation no. like that they they can still move forward with it and it doesn't matter
1: yeah absolutely and and the other thing and i, I don't know if we we come on to this later but just in terms of children Another thing that, that that is often raised to me as a reason why someone has stayed in the relationship or, or been scared to, to leave or take any steps is where there are children involved. It is very common for the abuser to threaten to take the children or, you know, I'll take you through court. I'll tell them you're a bad mom and the children will be taken away from you, which, of course, you know, we often talk about it domestic abuse with the 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 female being the victim and the male being the perpetrator, which is the majority of it. But of course it can be the other way around. But but for this example, you know, a mother's worst fear is going to be losing their children. And a, you know, when it's a male abuser, they play on that a lot. You know, they will threaten to go to social services and raise allegations. They will threaten to take the children away. They'll threaten to drag everything through the court. You know, that that they are threats that would cause anxiety but again we we help with that okay so where there are children involved that's uh, you know that's the other part of what i do you know i'm on the children's panel like majority of the work i do is in relation to children there's help out there for that as well you can apply for a prohibited steps order at the same time as applying for the non-molestation order which is an order that would prevent the other parent from removing the child from the other parent's care you know there are all kinds of things that can help so those threats and those comments that can be made to plant that seed of doubt in the mind. um, It's all stuff that we can help with. You know, there is help out there. There are orders we can get and there are things we can do. So I I would just want to make that clear as well. That's
0: brilliant. Yeah, thank you for covering that. Um, So would someone be able to pursue criminal charges against their abuser in addition to the family law proceedings?
1: Uh, absolutely. And that can go both ways round. So even if the police are, are, have been involved, uh, I get some cases where, you know, there have been bail conditions that are coming to an end. Um, and the victim wants some protection in place for when the bail conditions come to an end. So that's where the police have already been involved and are pursuing their inquiries to determine whether or not, you know, is, is a prospect of prosecution. Um, And someone might come to me and say, you know, there's bail conditions in place that prevent the the alleged abuser from contacting me. Uh, They run out in a couple of weeks. Is there anything you can do? And what we would do is get a non-molestation order application lined up just in case um, and get ready to issue that to ensure the protection is continuing. And we have it the other way around. So someone might come to me first and they haven't contacted the police. We might get the non-molestation order. Um and then they've got that protection which makes them feel comfortable to contact the police. So they it's it's not one or the other. They can both go on at the same time. And it doesn't matter which one you've gone to first, whether it's police or le- or legal advice. They're kind of two I don't know how to put it really, but two weapons that you can use at the same time, you know, to to, to keep yourself safe and, and and get get out.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. That's brilliant. And and are there any counseling or support services that you know about for victims of domestic abuse?
1: Yeah, so I mean I can only really speak to what's what's local to me yeah. and, and what we use, but I'm sure it would be similar in other areas. So here in Ipswich we're we're quite lucky because we have um Lighthouse Women's Aid who are just fantastic. So they offer support. They often direct people to to me and my firm. Um, and I'm sure other firms in Ipswich as well. They have refuges as well that they put people into. Um, and this
0: is men and women, even though it's called Women's Aid, isn't I, it?
1: I, I yeah, I, th- I think it is now. I think it is now. Um, I'm not sure whether Lighthouse is specifically for women or not. Okay. Um, to be honest, but but Anglia Care Trust, who are another organisation who I have close dealings with, that they are they are very good as well, and they do similar um, to Lighthouse. But I know for a fact that they assist men as well as women um because I've had male victims um referred to me from there that 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 I've assisted, and again, you know the support isn't just you know directing to a solicitor and and that's that you know there's the freedom program that they do, which is a is a course for victims of domestic abuse to allow them to to recognize domestic abuse that And that sounds really odd, but but often again the nature of it is that that it isn't always obvious until you get out of the relationship or until you get to the point where you look back and you think you know I've been going through this for years. So the the freedom program is very good, and, and Lighthouse run that. As I said before, they they can help with financial issues in in terms of looking at what support might be available for you if you go from a two person or two parent household to a one parent household, and really just help you. Get, I guess, get it straight in your head what, what this will look like. Because leaving leaving a, an abusive relationship is a long process. It's not something that that happens that can it can happen overnight. But in terms of the the victims thinking about this, you know, there's a lot to think about. And this is where Lighthouse Anglia Care Trust are, are very good. And of course, same with with us as well, obviously. But it can all be confidential. You know, mm-hmm. just by visiting lighthouse and having a chat with one of their advisors or you know contacting anglia care trust or contacting me it doesn't have to go any further you know if it's just the chat to look at options what well, what could i do you, you know you're not going to get a letter through your door that or anything like that it can just be an informal chat these are your options if you're ready let's do it if you're not think about it you know if i don't hear from you again i wish you the best but if you want any help come back that's
0: really great that because I think some people they're not sure what to do and they're just at that point where it's like oh should I should I not and maybe just by speaking to you can make the world of difference you know to to them just to know that there's there's other there's other options than where they're at at the moment so that's that's really
1: and I I think that's where Lighthouse and and Anglia Care Trust and the like are, are very good as well because as I said you know they we've all got experience with it we all know what the issues are so we're never going to do anything that would put someone at risk if they're just coming for a for a chat you know that and again we do we do free half an hour appointments here as well so if someone wants to come in and they're worried about money you know it's fine we can have a half hour chat if you then want to use us for for whatever if you want to take any steps we can try and get the legal aid we can help you that way if you don't then fine you know it's not it's not a problem because you probably tell from this, there's a lot of information, there's so much and and I don't think people are fully aware of it. So to have that half an hour chat in half an hour, you know, there's so much information we can give and that will help make the decision one way or the other, you know, whichever way it goes.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good because I think when it comes to domestic abuse and, and you know, when you're even talking to friends that know the abuser, you know, or family members, you don't want, you're not sure if you want to leave them. So you don't know if you want to tell them that you think it's that. And, and by talking to someone like that's a third party, you know, it, it, for a lot of people, that's going to be more desirable, really
1: yeah i yeah I think that's right because once you you know one and especially if you're in in a situation where you might be scared of of, of the person or might be worried about what their reaction would be and um, to have that conversation with them is is a massive is a massive step so to come and have a conversation with someone else and let say just explore options that that's all it would be. We don't do anything in terms of you know writing letters or or starting any proceedings obviously without clear instructions to do so, so nothing would you know the other thing we do if if someone comes to see me about this and they do want to take it on, you know, we check is your email account secure? Are you sure? Do you think you ought to set up another one that we can correspond with? Clearly, we won't write any letters to you to your address. You know, there's things like that. So we're we're and I guess Lighthouse and Anglia Care Trust even more so. You know, we're we're aware of the issues that there are. And we will do everything to 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 keep the person safe, because ultimately that's the that's the most important consideration in all of this.
0: That's brilliant. And and can you just um share just a, a little bit more? Because obviously we discussed about about the different types of domestic abuse. But will you just go through those again? Because I think it's important for people to know that it isn't just, you know, abusive as in as in hitting or punching yeah. or pushing. Mm-hmm. Could you just talk about a bit a few of those?
1: Yeah so I'll give um some examples so physical obviously we, we that that's the one that everyone knows about that's the physical abuse the punching the hitting the kicking slapping you know that that kind of stuff the psychological um and emotional really that would be um so verbal abuse putting someone down making them feel worthless gaslighting isolating people from their friends and family then you've got and then again none, none of this is going to be an exhaustive list because there's so many things yeah. you've, got, you've got controlling behavior um so that would be monitoring movements uh, controlling whether you wear makeup or what you're wearing make you know even making little comments about that as you're about to leave the the home um you've got sexual abuse um the most obvious of that is is rape but there are other kinds so feeling pressured you know, the the other person um, being abusive, if you don't agree to have sex with them, there, there's all kinds of sexual abuse. Um, it's not it's not just the most serious. Financial abuse, controlling money, you know, making sure that any money that, that the victim gets goes into the perpetrator's bank account and him or her asking what they're spending it on before they give it to them. Uh, monitoring bank statements, you know, why did you spend this on that? Why have you spent this on that? You know, there, there, there's so much out there. And they're just a few examples. There's more. There's more, mm. but, but there are a few examples.
0: And and could you just, I know co- coercive control is something that people are a lot more aware of now, but could you just explain a little bit about that, um, just so people are aware what what that is?
1: Yeah. So coercive control really is about taking control over aspects of everyday life. So similar to the controlling behaviour that I discussed previously. So, you know, controlling who you can see. What what you wear, who mm. you can contact, what you do, um, where you go. It's just about having that 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 level of control. And often it happens so slowly that people don't even re- realize it's it's terrible. You know, people mm. don't even realize that that's what's going on. You know, it it could be putting on. You know, if, if you're talking about a female going out, it could be putting on a dress, and and the the, the partner saying, "Well, you're not wearing that, are you?" Mm. Or making them. Or say, oh, you know, you look, you look terrible in that. What are you wearing that for? You look ridiculous. Or, you know, making an effort with makeup. You know, you look like a clown. You know, that that kind yeah. of stuff. It's, it's those little comments that are not very nice, but they build up over time. You know, stopping people from seeing friends and family. Um, and if you do see your friends and family receiving phone calls every two minutes, where are you now? What are you doing? It's that kind of behaviour. and right. it, And it can link to you know the sexual stuff the financial stuff all of it it's um and in some ways I'm not saying that's worse than the physical abuse but that's not what I'm saying but it but it's just as serious it's just as serious because often it's it's happened for such a long time that it just becomes life and it's not until someone can break out of it that they look back as I've said before and you know get it when they when people come here and you're kind of going through their history and you know, it, it's almost as you're talking to them. It's just more and more and more coming out, and it's that realization, and and that's why it's so. It's, it's quite insidious, and it's it's very manipulative, and it's mm. yeah, it's it, it it it's pretty it's pretty awful stuff. And this and this is this is why I led with at the very beginning, isn't it? That mm. amount of people that say, "Yeah, but he never hit me. He never did this, or she never did this." You know, it's. That's not all what it is, you know. That's a very, very small part of it. It's serious, but it's a very small part of it.
0: That's and that I was going to say. That's great for all that, but it is so sad that people are going through this. And and I, I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing all of that. So, Scott, would you would you mind just sharing where a bit about your company and also um, how people can find you and what else you guys can help with?
1: Yeah. So we are uh, Bates Wells and Braithwaite. So we are based in Ipswich. In terms of uh, what we do uh, family law wise, so there's me and my assistant and then um, Denise Head and her assistant and we're both partners here. I tend to deal with anything to do with children or domestic abuse comes to me. Anything to do with divorce or financial issues goes to Denise Um, and we find that that kind of separation of our work works really well. Um, So sometimes I might start the file um, and then it may go to Denise. But if someone really wants to stay with one of us, then we do we do do the other bits. Um, but we we tend to find separating out in that way is good. Um, in terms of other stuff we do here. We do conveyancing. So moving um, uh, house buying and selling. We do personal injury and civil litigation. So any injury uh, issues or clinical negligence. So any issues that have happened at hospital um, that haven't gone quite right. Um, or any disputes with neighbours, anything like that, anything kind of um, litigation-wise on the civil front we do. Um, and we also have a wills and probate department, which deals with wills, uh, powers of attorney um, and probate if if someone's died and, and administering the estate. So we do a, wow. we do a wide mix of, of stuff here. Um, and I said, we can be found in Ipswich. But to be fair, in the post-COVID, um, location isn't as important anymore in terms of assisting people so i've got clients all over that we utilize the technology which which works quite well
0: that's great scott yeah and i'm sure i mean you've been absolutely brilliant on this i've learned a lot myself actually so thank you so much um it's really really useful so what we'll do is we'll put scott's details at the bottom of this podcast so if you do want to make contact with him please do um and i'm sure he will be more than happy to help you Thank you so much for listening to today's expert podcast. If you are looking for your nearest financial advisor or family law solicitor, visit www.mybump2baby.com forward slash family protection legal. My Bump2Baby is one of the UK's leading parenting platforms. You can find local pregnancy to preschool groups, classes and lessons wherever you are in the UK. Not only that, but you can read our honest reviews on the latest products, days out and services that you as parents need to know about. We also work with trusted financial advisors, family law solicitors and now estate agents too. If you would like to find your nearest trusted expert, head over to www.mybump2baby.com. Wondering what's on in your local area? Come and join our weekly newsletter where we share the classes and groups that are on in your local area. From pregnancy to preschool, we have you covered. Click the link below this podcast to receive your newsletter each week, every Sunday, so you know what's on and you can plan your week ahead.